Now 8.44, Carrie Lam, shame on you. Carrie Lam, step down, withdraw the extradition bill. Those are just some of the slogans that have been marched around Hong Kong. And on Sunday, millions of people clad in black marched together to form a so-called sea of black. The... Efforts, then, are not just focusing on the gains that have already been made, but on going further. It's reminiscent of what we saw not only in the past in Hong Kong, but actually what we've seen bringing about political change here in Korea as well. Sheridan Prasso, senior investigative writer for the Asia-Pacific region for Bloomberg News, is based in Hong Kong and joins us on the scene today. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you for taking the time. Uh, so until yesterday, protesters did remain in control of major roads in the city. Hong Kong's central government offices were temporarily closed. What's the situation this morning as Hong Kong gets ready for another day? Well, as of last night at quite uh, at 11 p.m., the roads were still closed uh, around the Legislative Council office. And as a result... The government has this morning canceled its, uh, Carrie Lam has canceled her meeting with her executive council, her cabinet, essentially. And so everything is uh, on hold at the moment until the demonstrators uh, see further demands. Um, and I expect they'll still be out as uh, their time permits. People come and they join for a bit and then they go back and do what they need to do. We saw the crowd swell quite considerably last night after work when people got off work and then joined the protests again. So the situation is definitely not over, and we'll be continuing to see the demands for Carrie Lam to step down for the extradition bill to be fully and completely withdrawn. What would be the political step then? If Carrie Lam did step down and and bow to this pressure, what would be the... uh, I mean, is there even a precedent for this kind of thing in Hong Kong? We have had uh, chief executives resign previously uh, after the scrapping of the, a previous attempt to impose Article 23, which uh, would have given China much greater powers in Hong Kong and in the security realm. Uh, C.H. Tung was forced to resign, but that took about five months for that to fully play out. It does seem like, at least according to the analysis I've been seeing, that you know, China has come out and said they still fully support Carrie Lam, and if she were to resign immediately, that would be a big blow and uh, you know quite a loss of faith. So it does seem like she may continue her term for at least the immediate future, but there is precedent precedent in the longer term for a chief executive to then step down. The, the the fact that we've got millions of people on the streets seems to fly in the face of what China's official line has been, that these protesters don't represent majority opinion in Hong Kong. But do you have any further evidence to suggest that there might be some silent majority that that's uh, not in favour of change uh, in the direction that these protesters want? Well, 2 million people is, a, is an enormous percentage of Hong Kong's population. Uh, it's about... 25% of the total population, but when you look at the numbers of just elderly and, I mean, without, if you exclude elderly and children and include just able-bodied people, that's fully 40% of the population that came out to demonstrate. And others who didn't demonstrate do uh, seem to indicate support to a large extent in that, for example, people who are still working at shops all along the demonstration route on Sunday 
or handing out water and, uh, you know, just generally helping the demonstrators, even though they themselves had to be at work. And these demonstrators, the reports have indicated they are really organized. They're looking out for each other. They are singing in unison, sing hallelujah to the Lord. It's an unofficial anthem of the anti-extradition protest. It's this kind of organization that must make both China and Chief Executive Carrie Lam very wary. The amazing thing about these protests is that while they are both organized, they essentially don't have a leader. Um, Joshua Wong, who was uh, one of the student leaders of the Occupy protests back in 2014, was in prison until just yesterday when he was released and then went down to the demonstration site to uh, give some inspirational words to the demonstrators. But what we've seen really is that, you know, apart from some church groups who have helped bring people out to the streets uh, and uh, a civil rights group, there really hasn't been a key leader trying to organize the, the people. And essentially, this is a, a groundswell of support among students, among uh, labor groups, um, among teachers. It just has a mass appeal across all of Hong Kong, everybody joining together in unity against this extradition bill. And what differs really from the uh, Occupy protests that we saw back in 2014 is that it does have a very specific goal in that the demonstrators wanted the extradition bill to be withdrawn. And now they want Carrie Lam to step down. But back in 2014, the goals were much more nebulous, just pushing for universal suffrage and much more uh, a greater freedom. This time, demonstrators want to just preserve the freedoms that Hong Kong has currently. And that is what gives it universal appeal across the board that anybody really who lives in Hong Kong and benefits from these freedoms can support. I just want to pick up on the Joshua Wong point that you made this very significant figure in the movement, even if it doesn't have a a definitive leader. He seems like he has the potential to be a leader. Why was he released yesterday amidst all this? It's an interesting question. Uh, Officially, he was released because of good behavior, and he became eligible for release yesterday for his good behavior. You could uh, potentially read into that that there are supporters within the judicial system that help that along. And certainly what we have seen of the Bar Association has come out very, very strongly against the legislation and uh, the largest group of lawyers ever to march in the city against extradition actually had done that uh, at a point previous to the two million people out in the streets on Sunday. Coming back to the the process of political change, Carrie Lam, she's given a rare apology, admitting shortcomings in the government's work that led to conflict and disputes. She seems like she wants to hold on to her position for now. But when she was uh, chosen in 2017, it was by a small committee of electors with the approval of Beijing. For someone like Joshua Wong potentially to rise up, and, and if not him, then someone else, as a popular leader... That would require a massive political upheaval. Is that even possible under the current structure? There is no possible way for a popular leader to uh, to take control in Hong Kong. In fact, uh, the very first chief executive who was chosen after the handover in 1997 
was a pro-Beijing business leader who essentially was handpicked by Beijing. And what people said at the time was uh, if the person who actually reflected the public's will had been chosen as chief executive, that would have been someone called Anson Shan instead of C.H. Chung. And so the system is essentially set up so that Beijing can really handpick a small group of leaders for it that it's then pro-Beijing dominated council to then elect. Carrie Lam was elected with 777 votes only. And, and that sounds terrible if you view Hong Kong as some sort of independent entity. But when we consider that Hong Kong, having been under British rule, is scheduled to officially revert to total mainland Chinese control in 2047, uh, that kind of changes things a little bit. If you're a Joshua Wong or a, or a supporter of his, you've got to be finding a way towards independence between now and then. Otherwise, all of this is for nothing. What's the general sense on the ground there? Well, what the government has effectively done in between 2014 and now, and it's one reason for the public anger that has been building, is that essentially the government eliminated uh, any attempts by an independence movement to gain any seats in the legislature. All of those people uh, have been prevented from taking their seats for various reasons or another. Uh, Others have been uh, outlawed and declared illegal, and therefore... What that means is that the system is now rigged and cannot further uh, develop into a representative legislature for the people. It will continue to reflect a pro-Beijing stance. And in fact, you know, as Hong Kong officially now has what's known as one country, two systems, uh, the erosion of the two systems, the separate system for Hong Kong, has really been what's provoking a lot of the anger here. Now, everybody knows that there's a deadline of 2047. What we see is people who are thinking of alternatives, perhaps immigration abroad. Well, that's an understandable individual choice. But again, for the likes of Joshua Wong, one one suggests that that the fight may go on and that we could be heading for... Uh, an even more tense future. Uh, again, not necessarily drawing on your own opinion. I know it's difficult for you as a as an investigative reporter for Bloomberg News to, to to just say what you personally think, but drawing on the voices that you hear all around you, is there a, a sense of resignation because of what's happened with Taiwan, or, or, or is there a feeling like if there was some sort of rebellion that the likes of the US would find a way to intervene? Uh, is that just kind of fantasy talk? I think there there was a sense of resignation that set in after the 2014 protests were quelled, and young people in particular thought there really is no avenue for uh, making themselves heard or preserving the freedoms that they currently have. But uh, I think what the latest demonstrations have indicated is that people can and will rally in favor of what they really feel is an erosion of their freedoms, I think we're going to continue to see that tension. What we saw after 2014 was much more of a, of a, a central government attempt to control. That's, and what I mean by that is elimination of any kind of semblance of an independence movement in Hong Kong that happened as a gradual encroachment of freedoms after 2014, which, again, is what provoked really this latest uh, 
series of protests. So it may well be that between now and 2047, we'll just continue to see a back and forth, quite a lot of instability as as uh, Beijing continues to try to wrestle control in Hong Kong, and then demonstrators try to take take back freedoms. Sheridan Price of Bloomberg News, thank you so much for joining us. It was my pleasure. And it's reminiscent of democratization movements elsewhere. Hong Kong, symbolic perhaps of the, the, the very challenging task, maybe impossible task of standing up to Beijing and what the rest of the world can do. We're left wondering. But we did see a group of people singing Marching for Our Beloved in Cantonese and Korean on Friday in the Charter Garden. And it makes you think that uh, this is all rather close to home for ourselves and the difficult history when you look back to Guangzhou, for example. Do we have another Guangzhou coming up in Hong Kong? Certainly hope not. Hope that we get the benefits of democratization without the, the pain and the tragedy. We'll be back with this morning tomorrow at 7.05.